Well, it's good to be back with you today. It's the first time in, I guess, about five weeks that I've actually preached. Uh, the church uh, gave me uh, the month of February off from preaching. I didn't get off. I actually worked, uh, but I didn't preach on the weekends. I'm so grateful for Mike Mossberg, Chris Barker, uh, Brother Kurt Dauphin, who came in from out of town to preach a couple of weeks ago. Last Sunday, Dr. David Reagan. They all did such a great job, and I'm so appreciative of that. However, this last week, my wife and I, Carol, we did get to go uh, for a week of vacation up in Branson, Missouri. We had a good time, got back late uh, Friday night. Uh, so thank you for just a, a marvelous celebration. Two Sundays ago, our church celebrated uh, us being here as a pastor for 40 years. But it was actually, I feel like, a celebration for the whole church. We got to come that day, and you were so sweet and so encouraging to us, and uh, you gave us an unbelievably generous love offering. Thank you for that. One of the great things about the day to me was seeing former members who came back, uh, getting to see so many friends, talk with so many of you. And all of the while, there was this video playing in the background of some of the great things that God has done through the years, through those decades, really, of, of ministry. And it reminded us of so many things and so many ways that God has used the church uh, through the years. And, and I literally came away from that day not only greatly encouraged and appreciated, but I really came away feeling like that our best days are ahead as a church. So many of you said something similar to me about that, that really God has done some incredible things up to this point, but I really believe our greatest days are ahead. And what I want to talk to you about today is whether or not that is really true or whether it's just platitudes and sort of something sweet that we say to each other. Do we really believe that God has great things planned for us to do for us and through us, even greater than what we've seen over the last 40 years, that we would see greater things in the future? But maybe more specifically, what I want to ask you to think about is do you believe that your most fruitful days are ahead? So do you believe that the future, in spite of what goes on in the world, in spite of the difficulty of the days in which we're living, all the stressful times, all the crisis and all the drama that happens all the time, do you believe that God's plan for your life is that your most fruitful days are still to come? For some of you, perhaps you look back at days gone by and you see and remember something that God did miraculously for you in the past. Or you remember a time God used you or God showed up in your life in a great way. But maybe you think that the best is in the past. But what I want to talk to you about today is that I believe from the Scriptures we can see a biblical principle that God wants you and me to believe that he is at work in our lives in such a way that it is his desire and his will that our most fruitful days are ahead. And he wants us to ask him for that, and he wants us to believe him for that. So I want you to bow with me, and I want you to ask the Lord to speak to you. If you're watching us online right now, or maybe you're watching even at a later date that was recorded, would you pray right now? And would you say, Lord, speak to me. 
speak to me that, that Lord, if this is true, if, if the greatest days of fruitfulness are to come in my life, then speak to me so that my faith will be based upon what you've said to me and not based upon just sweet sentiment. Father, by your spirit, would you take the word of truth, would you apply it to every life, would you speak to us so that we have a biblical principle and a promise from God upon which to base our faith as a church and as each of your children, that we might believe you for greater things, ask you for greater things in the days ahead. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A little over 40 years ago, I was going to school in Dallas, going to Bible school. I just started my final year of my graduate degree in, in Bible. I was pastoring a church in Louisiana in my hometown. I'd been pastoring that church for four and a half years. And, uh, and I would commute every weekend from the Dallas-Fort Worth area back to North Louisiana uh, and I would live with my parents on the weekends, pastor on the weekend, come here, go to school during the week. It just so happened that one my next to the last semester, I had one of my professors was a guy by the name of Dr. Leo Edelman. Well, Dr. Edelman was the pastor of this church. It was called Memorial Baptist Church then, and it was located in North Dallas, just a couple of blocks north of Northwest Highway on Midway Road, about 25 miles or more south of where we are right now. The church had, prior to Dr. Edelman, he had been there a little over a year, prior to Dr. Edelman coming, the church had gone through some really difficult days. In fact, for about 10 years <clears throat> prior to Dr. Edelman's coming, the church had been in decline. And it had gone down, down, down to the point that finally the pastor, after 10 years, resigned, decided God hadn't called him to the ministry after all, and they were without a pastor. Many of the people had left. They were down to a handful of people. Buildings were literally just almost falling down around them. They were financially in trouble, no leadership, and they were to the point where they were considering, do we just shut the doors lock the doors, turn off the lights, and not come back. One night, there were eight of them standing out after service on Sunday night, standing in the churchyard, talking with one another, saying, do we just not come back after tonight? That's where they were. They held hands, they prayed together, and after they finished praying, they decided, well, let's just hang on a little longer. It was about two weeks later that Dr. Edelman had been asked just to come and preach for them that Sunday. One of the deacons walked up to him after the service and said, Dr. Edelman, what would it take for a man like you, a man of your caliber, to come and help us? And he said, gentlemen, you'd have to ask him. And they asked him, and Dr. Edelman came. And God used Dr. Leo Edelman. He was about 80 years old at the time. He was in failing health. He had had surgery on his back so that he could hardly walk. When he walked, he shuffled his feet like this. And God used Dr. Edelman and the faith 
of those people who believed that God was not finished with them. Dr. Edelman would come out on Wednesdays. He taught at Crystal College. He lived downtown. He'd have to catch a ride out to North Dallas because he couldn't drive. And he would come out in the middle of the afternoon on Wednesdays and he would shuffle and walk down the streets, knocking on doors, inviting people to come to church. One of the main things that Dr. Edelman did was he over and over and over again said to the church, God is not finished with you. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God is going to use you in a great way in the future. Keep trusting God. Keep believing God. Well, I was pastoring in Louisiana, so I, didn't, I couldn't go back home and pastor on, on Wednesday nights, so I would visit different churches in the area on Wednesday nights. So I heard that Dr. Edelman was one of my professors was out at Memorial Baptist, <clears throat> that he needed to catch a ride home after prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. So I started driving out to church on Wednesday nights. I'd go to prayer meeting. When prayer meeting was over, I'd take Dr. Edelman home. So I had the opportunity to get to know him, and he got to know me. And God began to, I think, speak to him long before he, if he was speaking to me, I'm 25 years old. I didn't know exactly how God spoke from, to tell you to go from one church to another. And so God began to put it upon his heart that I was supposed to come and pastor the church. So it seemed like every day when class was over, he would look at me, class dismissed, Meredith, I want to see you in my office. I'd walk in, he'd say, sit down, son. I'd sit down, he'd say, son, you need to come take that church. God has his hand on that church. God is going to touch the world through that church. And I would go, there were seven people there last night at prayer meeting. <laughs> a couple of months goes by. He resigns. He recommends me to the church pulpit committee. Uh, it took me a couple of months, honestly, to discern what God was saying before I knew that God was telling me to come. And so my first week... I'm getting ready to preach, and, and Dr. Edelman, he's a brilliant guy, and I'm overwhelmed that I'm about to follow this living legend. And that week, the Lord led me to a passage of Scripture that Kurt Dolphin preached on two weeks ago, Joshua chapter 1, that became my life verses. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is following Moses, which will be a daunting task. He's overwhelmed. He's scared to death. And so the Lord said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, you and these people, and go into the land that I'm giving unto you. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I've given to you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Only be strong and courageous for you will lead these people into the land to inherit the land that I've promised. That week, God took those verses of Scripture and he spoke to me personally. But what he said to me was something different than maybe I've ever shared with you. What he said to me was, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. But I believe that God said to me, I'm not putting any limitations on what I'm willing to do through this church. 
Every place the sole of their foot will tread, I will give to them. Every place that they have faith enough to put their foot and begin to try to go in that direction, every place I will be with you. No one will be able to stop you. I am with you. And I felt like God was saying to me, to our church, that he was putting no limits on what he was willing to do through this church. And over the last 40 years, four decades, we've seen God touch the world through this church. We've seen hundreds of missionaries, pastors, teachers go out from this church to countries all around the world. We've seen God do some incredible things. But my question to you is, do we now look back and go, well, boy, it's been a wild ride. It's been fun. It's been great. God's been glorified, but the best was in the past. Or do we believe that what God said to us 40 years ago, he's still saying today? I'm still willing to use you. I'm putting no limitations on you. Our best days are still ahead. The most fruitful times of ministry are still ahead for this church if we will believe God and trust him for those things. But let me ask you about your life. Maybe some of you here are retired. Maybe you look back and you think, well, you know, my greatest days of serving God was in the past. Really? Maybe some of you think I'm too young. Maybe some of you think I'm too busy. So my question is, do you believe that the best is yet to come? Do you believe that God wants to use you, he wants to work through you in greater ways in the future than he has in the past. That's what I want to talk to you about. And I want you to see that I believe that's a biblical principle, something on which you can hang your faith, something God wants you to trust him for. So in John chapter 15, I want us to start by looking at verse 16. It is the night in which Jesus is about to be betrayed in just a couple of hours. He has met with his disciples in the upper room. He's observed the Lord's Supper with them, started and established the Lord's Supper. Then he tells them that he's going away, and they are stunned, and they're shocked, they're saddened. He told them not to be sad, that he wasn't going to leave them like orphans. He would come. He would send his spirit to come live within them. He told them he was going back to his father's house to prepare a place for them, that one day he would come and get them and take them to be with him where he is at. And now he gets to chapter 15, and he's sort of, these are, he's summing up, he's, he's finishing up the last, some of the last words he's ever going to say to them. And he saved the, 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 some of the most important for the last thing so they won't forget it. And he says to them in verse 16, he wants them to remember this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus said to them, remember, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Now, it was a custom in that day that someone would choose a rabbi, a teacher that they would follow. 
they would choose their rabbi. But Jesus said to them, remember, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And he says, if you put verse 16 back up there, he says, you did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you so that. See the words so that? It is the Greek word hina. It means that, but it's called a purpose clause, and it should be translated, I chose you in order that for the purpose of that you might bear fruit that will last. I chose you for the purpose that you might bear fruit. You and I did not choose Jesus. Jesus Christ chose you. If you're his child here today, you need to understand that the reason you came to faith in Christ was because God chose you, God moved upon your heart, God opened your understanding to understand the gospel, God drew you to himself by his Holy Spirit. He chose you. And if he chose you, he chose you in order that you might bear fruit, fruit that will remain forever. You were saved, you were chosen one of the reasons being for the purpose of bearing fruit. He goes on to say, you didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you for the purpose of bearing fruit. The word appointed there means to ordain, to establish, to confirm, to set in place. It can mean that you set something in its place for a purpose, to ordain for this purpose. The Apostle Paul uses the same word appointed in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where he says, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time. And for this purpose, what purpose? That Jesus gave his life a ransom for all men. For this purpose, I was appointed, set in place, a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Paul said for the, the purpose of sharing the gospel, the Lord chose me. The Lord appointed me, set me in place because Jesus wanted people to know what he had done for them. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the Holy Spirit of God chooses and appoints every one of us. It's his body of Christ. But in fact, God has placed, set in place, same words, the parts in the body, every one of them. That means every one of you, everyone watching right now who is a child of God, every one of you has been set in place just as he wants them to be. So Jesus Christ said, I chose you in order that you might bear fruit. I set you in the place where you are. I gave you the giftedness that you have. I made you a part of the body of Christ that you were in, just like I wanted you to be, in order that you might bear fruit that will last, fruit that will remain. 
I've always, since I was a young person, had this desire for God to use me. I remember as a 14-year-old teenager praying, oh, God, use me to bring people to Jesus. I remember when I surrendered my life publicly to preach, I remember standing in front of the congregation and saying, I just want God to use my life. I remember when I was ordained to the ministry at 21, I remember standing there and saying, I want my life, God, to use me. I've always had this desire for God to use me. I've prayed, oh, God, use me. But I'll be honest with you, for many, many years, I would sometimes wonder, are you just being arrogant and prideful? I mean, shouldn't you just say, God, you know, you may want to use me, you may not want to use me. Maybe my desire to be used is about me. Maybe it's me, you know, trying to, you know, somehow glorify on name. And I did never know for a long time if this desire in me, this desire that I wanted God to use me, I wanted to see greater fruit in my life. And I didn't know, is that God, it's something God wants, or is that my old selfish sin nature? But this passage we're looking at today shows you and me that Jesus Christ chose you for that very purpose. He appointed you for that very purpose. He wants you to bear fruit. So this is something Jesus desires for you. In the context, this verse 16 is in the context of a larger passage I want us to read because he talks about fruit bearing. In chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the keeper of the vineyard. He's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes for what reason? So that it will be more fruitful. So does God want you to be more fruitful? You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me or abide in me, and I will remain in you, and I in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches picked up, they're thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain or abide in you, ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In this passage, Jesus talks about the branches, that he's the vine, you and I are a branch, and that if we will stay connected to him, that through our life, the life of the vine will flow through the branch and produce fruit. So what is fruit? Fruit is the life of the vine being reproduced. So for you and I, what does it mean that he wants us to bear fruit? It means that Jesus will reproduce himself in your life 
and through your life. It means that the character of Jesus, the qualities of his life will show up in your life. We call those the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. You remember those? He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. These, that's what Jesus is. And he says that will begin to show up in your life when you abide or remain in the vine. And he says your father, who's the keeper of the vineyard, he works the vineyard so that more and more of this fruit will show up in your life. But it's not just the character of Jesus that is reproduced through us. It is also the work of Jesus, the good works and souls coming to Christ. All of those things are fruit. In Romans chapter 1, verse 13, the apostle Paul says to the, to the Romans, he says, I want to come and I want to have a ministry among you so that I can have some fruit among you like I have all the other Gentile churches. He's talking about souls coming to Christ there. This desire to be fruitful, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The next verse says, but if I go on living in the flesh, it will mean fruitful labor for me. And he said, I'm torn between the two. I have a desire to go depart and be with Christ, but I also desire to stay here and see more fruitful labor. I'm torn between the two. Paul had this desire for Jesus to show up through his life. He had this desire for God to use him to bear fruit. That desire is something that is created in the heart of every child of God. If you're a child of God here today or you're watching right now, God is at work in your life to make you more fruitful. In that passage we looked at in the first eight verses of John, he says the, the, the worker of the vineyard, the gardener, the vine dresser, the father, he looks and if he sees no fruit, so the first category is no fruit. If he sees no fruit, he takes it away. But when he sees fruit, that's the second category, there is some fruit, then he begins to work in their life, pruning, cleaning, cleansing, lifting it up. He begins to work so that it might be more fruitful. So your heavenly Father wants to take you where you are and make you more fruitful, and he is at work doing that very thing. And then he says, and now your father, the keeper of the, of the vineyard, is really glorified when you bear much fruit. So you go from fruit to God works in your life to make you more fruitful to the where you have much fruit is when you really begin to bring glory to his name. The father is glorified when you bear much fruit. So is it God's will for you to be very fruitful? So would it be true for you to say, as I look in my future, God is at work right now to make me more, future, more fruitful tomorrow than I am today? That my future, he wants me to be more fruitful and to bear much fruit. Jesus appointed you. He chose you 
for that purpose. God the Father is at work in your life right now to bring that to pass. And if you're a child of God, there is in you a desire for God to work in your life and work through your life that you might be more fruitful. I've seen children as young as three and four years of age. They pray and give their life to Jesus as best they know how. And one of the first things they do is they say, I want to call my teacher and I want to tell my teacher. Or they want to get on the phone and call grandma and grandpa and tell them what they just did. Or they start saying to mom and dad who maybe just led them to the Lord, they'll start going, well, what about Uncle Bill? Does he know? Has he asked Jesus in his heart? One of the first evidences that a child has come to Christ is they start instantly being concerned about other people's souls. Because, you see, when God begins to work in you, he creates in you this desire to be used, this desire to be fruitful. Dwight L. Moody was a famous evangelist of about 150 years ago or more. He, one of his famous statements that he made that he's known for was one day Moody said, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man or a person who's fully consecrated or set apart, yielded to him. And Moody said, I, by God's help, want to be that man. But Moody, though he is known for that statement, he didn't originate the statement. A number of years earlier in his life, when he was a young minister, there was a preacher, an evangelist, by the name of Henry Varley. One day, while Moody was in Britain, Varley pulls Moody aside as a young preacher, and he says to him these words, Moody, the world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Years later, Moody went back to Britain. He was in Dublin, Ireland. He was at a conference, and Henry Varley was there. Moody pulled him off to a side, and he said to Pastor Varley, do you remember what you said to me on that night? And Varley went, well, kind of. He said, I mean, do you remember the words you said to me? And Varley said, well, you know, generally. And Moody said, I'll tell you exactly what you said to me. You said the world is yet to see what God could do with a man who is fully consecrated to him. He said, when you said those words, God burned it into my soul created in me this passion, this desire. And he said, it's like when I got on the ship to go back to America, every plank on the ship, it was like it was engraved on that. When I began to walk down the streets of Chicago, the, the paving stones, he said it was like every one of them had written on it that the world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated. He said, God used you to burn into my soul this desire, and it's been the driving passion of my life. A person who is a child of God, God is at work in your life, giving you the desire to be used, the desire for more fruit. And so God wants you to know today that he wants that for you. He desires that for you. He is at work in your life right now to bring that to pass. It was for that purpose you were chosen. It was for that purpose you were appointed and gifted. 
your most fruitful days should be ahead. The most fruitful days of this church should be ahead. Back in verse 16, one more phrase. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that, there's that Hena clause again, so that or in order that or for the purpose that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Whatever you ask in my name, what does it mean to ask in the name of Jesus? Well, one of the things it means is that you are asking in his place. You are praying what Jesus would pray if he were there at that moment. You are praying as his representative. You are praying to bring about what he would want done. So Jesus said, everything that you ask in my name, what I would want done, your father will do it. He said, it was for that purpose that I chose you. It was for that purpose I appointed you. Now Jesus tells us very clearly in this passage what he wants done through your life. He wants you to bear much fruit. And he says, now ask for that. Ask me for that. Your father is glorified when you bear much fruit. That's what he wants. It's what I chose you and appointed you to do. Now ask for it. So my challenge to you today is that you will from this day forward begin to believe by faith that God is at work in your life, that he has a purpose and plan, and that your most fruitful days are ahead, and that you would begin to say, oh, God, use me in greater ways than you've ever used me before. God, may Jesus show up in my life and through my life greater than it's ever been before. Your best days are ahead. But for some of us here today, perhaps you've not been believing that. Perhaps you've been filled with unbelief. You've believed that your best days were behind you, and you've sort of just coasting. That is not the will of God for you. If you are still here kicking and breathing, God is not finished with you yet. And it is God's plan for you to bear much fruit in the days ahead. He wants you to ask him for that, to believe him for that. He wants our church to believe him for that. Now, if you're here today or you're watching <clears throat> and you claim to be a child of God, but you don't really have much desire to bear fruit, you're, you're not really all that driven for God to use you, if you would say to me today, well, Glenn, you know, I don't really, you said that every child of God has that great desire for God to use them. I don't really have that desire. Then I want to say to you what that's an indicator of is that you have drifted from the Lord. If you're a child of God, you really are a child of God, then your heart has grown cold toward God. If you were to go to a doctor and you were to say, I have these physical symptoms in my life. <clears throat> that doctor would look at those symptoms 
and he would diagnose and he would say, you've got an illness or something wrong. When you and I do not have the desire for the same things God desires for us, then that's an, a symptom. It's an indicator that something's wrong, that your heart is drifted from the Lord, that you've, you've turned from the Lord, you've been living for your own self, or maybe you've become distracted by the pressures and the demands of this life, or maybe your pursuit of things in this world are not what God would have for you. I don't know what it is, but if you are not compelled by this desire that, oh God, I want you to use my life, then that is an indicator that your heart is not really as close to God as it ought to be. So you need to recognize that. And you need to get alone with God and you need to say, God, what is it in my life that's quenching and putting out that fire? Because the Spirit of God who lives in you as a believer, he wants to use you. He wants to flow through you to bring about magnification of Jesus Christ and God the Father. That is his work in you. And if you're not sensing that and feeling that, it shows you're out of touch and disconnected. So you need to get alone with it and say, God, I, I, I don't know what's happened to me. But Lord, I want to change. Some of you remember times in your life when you were driven, you were passionate about you wanted God to use you. And now it's been a long time since you've asked God about that. That's a symptom of something's wrong. But today could be the first day of the rest of your life. Today could be a turning point for you if you recognize God's clear, clear will and purpose for your life is to be more fruitful than you've been. To begin to ask him for that. And begin to trust him for that. That's his plan. Maybe you're here today or you're watching and maybe you would be in that category that Jesus said, there's no fruit. It just might be that maybe somebody here has never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. You've never asked him to save you from your sins. That today... Maybe today would be the day that you ought to do that. I want you to bow your heads, and I want to ask you, to give your life to Christ. The Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you call out to him right now and say, "Lord Jesus, save me?" Right where you're at right now, just pray, Lord Jesus, I know I need you. Come into my life and save me. Maybe you're a child of God. You're watching right now. You're here in this room, and you need to say, Lord, stir my soul that once again I might say, God, use me in greater ways than before. Would you pray just a moment?
Heavenly Father, it's an honor to be your children. Thank you that in your infinite love and grace, you chose us, you appointed us, you have a purpose for us. You want to be glorified through our lives. I just pray you would create today in the hearts of your people a greater desire to be used by you that Jesus Christ might be reproduced and people see Jesus in us in greater ways that you would work through our lives to do the impossible. Create in us, oh God, every one of us here, everyone watching, that desire that's on your heart for us. Burn into our soul as you burned into the heart of Dwight L. Moody this desire for God to use us. Create in us, oh God, a, a passion that we might begin to cry out and pray what Jesus wants us to pray that we might bear fruit that will last for the glory of God. I pray this church might continue to have the faith, the passion, the drive, the sacrifice, the urgency, the power of the Holy Spirit that we might fulfill the purpose that you've sent us to this community for. I pray we might be used by you that many hundreds and thousands of people would come to know Christ. Add to our church, Lord, people we need, the gifted people to help us fulfill the mission. Draw to our church people. Lord, we want to dedicate ourselves to you as a church. Say, Lord, thank you for the last 40 years. Thank you for the privilege, the incredible blessings, how often we saw you come through at our behalf miraculously. How we thank you for those opportunities. But we believe that, God, you have put us here at this moment in time for greater things, for more fruit, so I pray we would say yes to you. May we step up. May we not miss this moment. Help us not to be discouraged, distracted, defeated, divided. But may our focus be on you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We know this is your will. You have told us that this is the confidence that we have in you. That if we ask anything according to your will, we can know you hear us. If we know you hear us, we know we have the petition we desire of you. So thank you for what you're going to do in the lives of your people through the life of this church. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today or you're watching today and you prayed and gave your life to Jesus, would you let us know that? 
because you just had something happen to you, if you sincerely said, Jesus, save me, if you sincerely meant that, that you just had a miracle happen to you, more than you can even imagine. And it's the job of a church to help you begin to understand what God has done for you. So we'd like to help you. So if you prayed that prayer with me today, would you take the gray card that's in the seat back in front of you, just check the box that says, I prayed today to ask Jesus to save me from my sins. Put your name and a number there, email address, and just drop it in the offering boxes as you make your way out today. We'll contact you this week and begin to try to find a time at your convenience to help you begin to get to know what God has done for you. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. If you'd like to join our church, we had someone join in the first service today. If you would like to join our church, we just want to say we want you to come. We need you to help us be what God wants us to be. And so if that's God drawing you to this church, take the gray card, check I want to pursue membership of the church, drop it in the offering box, and we'll contact you this week just to explain the simple process of how you do that. If you're our guest today, thank you so much for coming. I hope that God spoke to you. I hope that you sense the Lord here. And if that's the case, then would you let us know that by taking the blue card that's for our guest and just fill that out and drop it in the offering box. We just want to say thank you for coming. All of you, I hope that you'll remember to give your offerings to the Lord as you make your way out, that God will use those offerings to bring about lasting fruit. Well, two weeks from today, two Sundays from now, we're going to have a short business meeting in between the first and second service. Once a year, we have a business meeting to adopt a new budget, a new plan for what we believe God wants us to do through the coming year. Our fiscal year runs from April the 1st through March 31st, so it's time to adopt the next budget. So we're going to be, our deacons are going to be working on that uh, this week, next week. Brother Mike Mossberg, our executive pastor, has been putting all that together, and uh, we're going to present it to you two weeks from today. So I invite you to come. Uh, it'll be a short meeting, and, but you can ask any questions that you'd like, and uh, we want you to feel comfortable with it. And then we're together going to commit to what God's going to do in the future. So we'll do that two weeks from today. Then three weeks from today, the last Sunday of March, we begin an eight-week emphasis that just might be the greatest step of faith our church has ever taken. So I want to ask you to start setting that aside Last Sunday of March, come, we're going to have a great church-wide focus together of seeking God together, of saying, Lord, what is it that you want us to believe you for in the days ahead? It's going to be a great time together. Thank you for coming. Would you stand? Father, I want to pray for your people. Pray for those watching right now. I pray your blessings on them. I pray that you would burn your word to them in their heart today. May they not forget it. Don't let the enemy come along and steal away what you've been saying to us today. I pray we would walk out of here changing our prayers to begin to ask you to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit through our lives. Beginning today, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are dismissed. God bless you. Thank you for coming.